0: Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Bill Guggenheim, and he is the author of "Hello from Heaven." And you've been on 2020 and some news programs, haven't you?
1: I've been doing this for 33 years, so I've been on a lot of TV shows, radio shows, interviewed by magazines and newspapers. Yes, yes. And what that? started.
0: I'm sorry.
1: More places than I could ever realize. It's exciting. You know, at first, yes. After a while, it was repetitive, frankly.
0: Really?
1: Message was important. That was the good part.
0: Okay. What got you interested in this?
1: Okay, that's where we begin then. It was in 1976 uh, that Judy, my wife then, called me and said, come on in and watch uh, the Phil Donahue show. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is his guest. And she's the woman who wrote all the books about death and dying and uh, the world famous for that. And I watched the show for an hour and she didn't talk about death and dying and grief, as I expected. She spoke about near death experiences. And I was moved by it. But, uh, you know, uh, it was an hour show and it was very interesting. And then it was over. However, two weeks later, the same show ran again on a cable channel. Only this time it had her name and her mailing address on the screen. and It was there for a while. So because I liked her message very much, I sent her a small donation, sort of like you give to the Boy Scouts or, you know, <laughs> brownie cookies or whatever they are that they come to your door. Nothing big. And uh, $25, frankly. And uh, much to my surprise, I received from her in the mail a set of audio cassette tapes called Lessons from a Dying Patient, and an invitation to attend her five-day life, death, and transition workshop. I had never heard of that, but uh, they were world famous at that point. They usually had a waiting list of a year and they were held all over the world. But this one would be just two hours from my front door on the other side of Florida, where I live. And at first I was very like ecstatic, like wow, is here. like a celebrity, I yeah. she was inviting me, whoopee. But <laughs> yeah. then I realized, I don't have the credentials, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a social worker, I don't, I'm not a hospice person. I was none of those things. I'd just be taking up the space of somebody who probably should be there to help you know, the patients who were dying and whatnot. So I called the last day of registration, several months later, to explain why, thank you very much, but I can't attend. But she answered the phone herself I recognized her German Swiss accent immediately. And she listened to my story. And then she replied very simply in German-Swiss, Bill, I think you should be there. Uh, uh. I found myself, this is a dominant woman, I guess, because I found myself saying, if you think so, Elizabeth, I'll be there. (laughs) A couple of months later, I drove across Florida. They were the five most incredibly joyous days of my entire lifetime. Because again, it was not about death and dying. It was about shedding grief and hurt and pain and all kinds of psychological wounds that everyone had. There were 70 of us. And she flew Raymond Moody down from Georgia on Thursday just so we could talk about near-death experiences. He's Dr. Raymond Moody. Wow. Uh-huh. There were only 70 of us, not 7,000, just 70. And so he talked about NDEs. And then another topic came up, which I had never heard of. But nobody else had either. Nobody had a name for it. And that was where... It was a nurse whose daughter had been hit and killed while she was driving, excuse me, while she was walking uh, on, along the road and by a driver, not a drunk driver, it was just an accident that really maybe could have been prevented. I don't know the details, but this was a nurse who had uh, been a bereaved mother for about a year. And she narrated a dream she had, she called it a dream and described it in detail. I, I won't go through all the, the story. Line, but it really helped her a great deal, and uh, as it does for bereaved parents to hear these stories. And uh, and uh, then she went on to say how her son, teenage son, saw his deceased sister while he was doing his homework. He looked up, he saw her standing there and saw her clothing and described her and everything. But that scared him, and he came running out of the bedroom and saying, Kathy's there, Kathy's there, Kathy's there. and You know, things like this don't happen in the real world, supposedly. And so I thought, let's see, because I was very analytical. I had gone to Yale University. And when you do that kind of thing, you become very analytical about everything. That's who you are. And uh, so when she called it a dream, I thought dreams are just nice stories that happen while we're asleep and not real. So I dismissed it. Now, as for the boy, I figured, let's see, marijuana, other drugs, who knows what, he just was stoned on something, and I dismissed that. But then Elizabeth herself narrated a very long story that has been published many times and places about a former patient of hers who had died 10 months earlier. And when Elizabeth was thinking of quitting her research and whatnot due to the opposition to her work, this uh, woman came and said, may I have a few uh, minutes of your time, Dr. Ross? they walked down to her office and whatnot. And by the time she finished telling the story, which took about 10 minutes, you could have heard a pin drop on the floor. It would have sounded like a crowbar. We were all stunned. And uh, that was Thursday night. And then Friday, we finished the workshop and I came home. And uh, once I got home again, and uh, my little high wore off, I began looking for other accounts like this. If, if I heard Elizabeth, maybe they're, others. I don't know how many, five, 10, 15, who knows? And I began researching this through the uh, entered the the library book system where you can get a book from any library in the country. And I would find one or two cases here, maybe three or four there, one chapter in a book, but nobody gave them a name or coordinated the stories. They just said, these are unusual things people have told us. And, uh, I was frustrated it took quite a few years to do this but nothing came of it and i thought i'd like to write a book on this myself but who am i i'm not a medical doctor i'm not a phd who's going to publish my book if i write it i thought and because that, those are the people in our society we value the most researchers benefiting, actually doctors and uh so i put it on the back burner but it um Something that happened in 1980, I'd like to share with you, and that is, I have three sons, and our youngest son was not yet two years old, and living here in Florida, we had a screened-in pool, and Judy and I had finished our conversation on a Sunday afternoon and sort of left the room together, and then I heard a voice in my head very clearly say, I didn't hear it in words, but I heard it as a thought, go outside and check the swimming pool go outside and check the swimming pool. And I did. And when I got there, we had a gate, which was a safety gate, because we had a fence all the way around the pool. The gate was ajar because our older boys had used it to shortcut to the backyard. So I went to close it securely, and I looked down at the pool, and I saw that our youngest son was floating in the middle of the pool in the deep end and not moving. He was not yet two, he didn't know how to swim. And you can imagine, being a parent and having this happen, you know. And uh, so I yelled out Judy's name and she came running out and I ran down the side of the pool and dove into it and pushed John to the side. But before I did, I saw that he was in the, about an inch under the water, his eyes were wide open and I didn't know if he was dead or alive, frankly. And I just reacted and was, I said, Jumped in the pool and pushed him to the side. Judy pulled him out with one arm. Uh, he, a few seconds went by, and he spit up some water. But all this has happened so rapidly, he did not even need any CPR. So I, I was spared from. We were spared from being worried yeah. parents, and it's because I heard that voice which spoke to me, and I acted upon it. So I say to everybody who's watching this program, if you ever hear a voice you while you're driving a car or anything else like that or a plane or you name it stop slow down do this do that very briefly listen to it and obey it it may save your life and that the life of others or against serious injury or death
0: and that's something i don't think we talk about enough is you know you're talking about um communication from loved ones but what about communication from angels or like you say, the other side, whoever that voice is?
1: I never frankly knew or learned who the voice is, no. Uh, I thought it might be my father who had died when I was a young boy. He died in 1947 when I was only eight. But I can't 100% say with certainty it was his voice because it was a thought. And I, I don't know what his thoughts sounded like. Right. It saved his voice and I say to people always, we have a whole chapter of these in the book, by the way. I'll cover that later, of these experiences. But uh, that voice spoke to me again. That was 1980. It spoke to me in 1988. And one day it said to me, do your own research. Write your own book. It's your spiritual work to do. And that was a kick in the fanny, So <laughs> I'll begin research. Now, I'd never done research. But uh, it made sense, you find people who've had the experience. We didn't know if we'd find 50 people in a year and how. But we did, and a long story short, we interviewed 500 people, more than 500 people the first year.
0: How did you find them?
1: Uh, we t- I contacted various bereavement support groups and told them what we're doing. And uh, would you please put a little announcement that we're looking for people who've had an experience like this, which I described. And so many people did that, but uh, they found we gave our first workshop in 1989, one year after we began, when our book was uh, one year after we began our research. And even so long before the book was even written or published, we had exposure to bereaved parents and many, many others. And we had a huge number of people who we found at the conferences, uh, bereaved parents and other places who had had the experiences. And we got things by mail, by telephone, by uh, word of mouth, one person to another. Very often people have had an experience and and the courage to share it, to know other people have had one because they then identify themselves. So long story short, during the seven years of research that we did from 1988 to 1995, we interviewed 3,000, excuse me, we uh, interviewed more than 2,000 people and collected more than 3,000 300 accounts. And frankly, I could have had another thousand accounts, but they were already similar to what we had. It didn't make sense to keep collecting the same thing, despite we weren't worrying over and over. So these are out there, they're very common. They're, for instance, near death experiences, I estimate maybe 4 to 5% of the public have had a near death experience. I would say in our book, we say conservatively 20% of the population have had one of these. 20%. And actually one poll was done and it was over 40% of the population. And then for bereaved parents and for the elderly, and see, the numbers are even higher. So this is the most common form of spiritual experience that people have. So that's uh, the story about the background of it. Then I contacted my former wife. We divorced in 1984. So we'd been divorced four years, but she knew the topic more than anybody else I knew, that we talked about for many years. And we were still friends. We have three sons together. We're still friends now today. Uh, and live very close to each other, help each other and whatnot. And uh, she agreed to do the work with me. She came over to my house five days a week. And we spent seven years doing that and interviewing people. We had other people do the interviewing as well, as she did, by telephone. And... Uh, Little by little, these fell into different categories and those made up different chapters and it all came together beautifully in time for the We received experiences like the week before the book was supposed to be finished, right? Just like that. And uh, it was a marvelous, magical time. We were I was going to conferences, giving workshops all along, And uh, these are so healing for people who have lost a loved one by death. In other words, a bereaved parent, a widow or widower, or anybody else who's lost a parent or any loved one, and pets too, loss of pets, is uh, there's a lot of healing with these. So based upon our research, we found that there are 12 categories of these types, or types of these experiences that are most common, since uh, there were a couple more I'll co- cover briefly after that. But the most common one we found is sensing or feeling the presence of the one who died. It's a feeling that they're there near you in the same space, same room with you nearby, and you can. Many people can point to where in the room. There may be a temperature change. That's all there is. It's just a feeling. It's a very comforting one. It's especially prevalent after the death of the loved one. But people, unfortunately in our culture, say, "Well, I was thinking. Of course, I'm thinking about my father or my child or whoever it is. I'm just imagining this." No, you're not. We say, if you feel their presence, please sit down, close your eyes, open your mind and ask for a message. And that's the second category is hearing a voice. Uh, some people hear a voice, but your hearing minds through your ears and all your listeners. But this is by telepathy, thought, mind to mind transfer. And it, people know it and they recognize it and they know who it is and what's being said very clearly. Some people have two-way communication and whatnot. By the way, all the things I'm going to describe can occur individually or together. You can have this, this, and this. There's no set formula. It can be like a stew, just any ingredients.
0: You mean a group of people can see the same spirit at once sometimes?
1: Uh, That's that's true. That does occur too, but what I mean is that you can feel their presence, hear their voice, and uh, see them at the same time. Oh, gotcha. So, in other words, of these 10 of t- types of experiences, you can have any combination. Okay. I don't have to describe them individually, but they can occur simultaneously. The next one is feeling a touch, which is a pat, a tap, a caress, a pressure of the hair, a kiss, even a one or two-armed hug. And, but those are between two people who were used to touching each other or being touched by each other. And I reckon because well, if it was somebody more distant, you wouldn't recognize it. But these are very intimate uh, experiences which ex- express affection, nurturing, and love. All these are based upon love in our estimation. Now, this is a very fat, fat, interesting category smelling a fragrance. You smell a fragrance and aroma, a scent, and it could be flowers, perfume, uh, incense cologne, even cigarettes, tobaccos, bath powders, any anything, or even um, a mother recognizes the scent of her baby. Okay, it's, it's unique. And what's interesting here is often it's not just the one person who smells it, but other people who, who are there as well. As an example, I like to give a woman could be in an office in North Dakota in the middle of winter, sitting in a cubicle at, at work, and she can start smelling lilacs. There aren't any anywhere, not perfume, not candles, not real flowers. And somebody walks down the corridor and goes, sniff, sniff, I'm smelling the And another person could come. Independently, they report to each other. And we've had as many, we have an experience with as many as 12 people smelling roses. And what was reverse way, the only one who didn't smell the roses was a woman who had never met the little girl who had died. Mm-hmm. these people had all gone to the funeral they went back to the mother's home and that's where they smelled the roses except for this one person who did not the visual experiences are a huge category and kind of hard to put into words but you can read them in the book Below From Heaven uh, you may have a partial vision or a full vision of them and partial means that they appear to you as just as an outline or just a where they're translucent or transparent or something less than fully solid and or you just see them from that down to the neck and shoulders or down to the waist down to the legs and the full visual is just the opposite where you see all of their body and it appears totally solid at that time just as much as we are to each other and what's very beautiful is regardless of their form of death and i don't want to be gruesome here but they're things that happen to a physical body in a car accident, a fire, a war, or whatever. And, uh, but when these people come back, in all cases, except one, I could think of, they came back healed in and whole and in radiant health, I'm usually smiling, sometimes saying, I love you. And maybe communication in other words, but they're communicating. I came back to show you, you don't have to worry about me. And, uh, The one that even, you see, by indirection, you learn, too, because it's one woman saw a man with his head bandaged. It was her brother, who she had not seen in many years. But she knew that he had become a policeman, police officer, a motorcycle police officer over in another city, not far away. But they just had been estranged. But when she went over to find out more about him and whatnot, this was well after the funeral and all that. He found out he was a police officer on a motorcycle who had been in an accident and his head was badly damaged. And that's what he was, that was evidential. He was showing her it was the head and not some other part of his body. So things like that are clues that they provide. All of these are filled with clues.
0: And I like that your research, you, you, you don't use um, these experiences that been through a medium or psychic or something. These are spontaneous.
1: All these are direct experiences. None of our work includes psychics or mediums. I'm sorry I didn't say that earlier. I actually never gave the definition of an ADC. That's what I missed. An ADC is what we're describing. After death communication is a spiritual experience that occurs when a person is contacted directly and spontaneously by a loved one who has died. Directly means that there's no third party involved, no medium psychic healer uh whatever you know no
0: somebody saw a ghost
1: so no no they have have to know who it is That this is not i saw a ghost or i saw a a dark shadow this is where they know who it is very we're very tight with our definition because we want we wanted something that's believable there's plenty of other shows paranormal shows you can watch on tv i call it the flashlight under the chin. They walk around the basement with some big box. It's called a beep, beep, beep. They say the psychic. We <laughs> here. No, this is not that. This is real living people who have died. Loved ones, relatives, and friends who have died. Who you know. And over that. So there's no third party. And it's a spontaneous event because our deceased loved ones here when, where, and how to contact us. It can be anywhere, it can be indoors, outdoors, in a car, believe it or not, uh, uh, on an airplane. We have accounts. Otherwise, the book, The Law from Heaven, contains 353 first hand accounts. Have Eight you? Per- I'm
0: sorry, go ahead.
1: And uh, I just let me finish this up. And uh, so they could happen anytime and anywhere, and they do. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No,
0: that's okay. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No. Uh-uh. Have you noticed that um, these often occur around a window or a mirror?
1: It doesn't sound familiar, no. Okay. I'm not saying some haven't, but I, okay. it doesn't sound familiar to me one way or the other. Okay. They occur in so many different places at times and everything else.
0: For me personally, I've just noticed that it's often around a windshield in a car, a mirror in the bathroom, there's some reflective glass around. Okay. I don't know what that would have to do with anything.
1: And maybe your ability to p- perceive it in that situation. Um, verbal, when you see them, you, they may communicate with you verbally or not. Again, these can happen together. ADC visions, these are hard to describe but It's like seeing a 35 millimeter slide which your young, younger viewers won't know what that is, but it's a picture, uh, some in black and white, some in color, just suspended in space. And we've concluded that actually you're seeing them in their dimension, the afterlife, heaven, whatever you want to call it. You're looking through from here to physical earth to there. And these read, the rest of it read just like seeing a person in the same room. And uh, these especially occur while you're meditating or in deep prayer, and uh, you're seeing into the spirit realm, so to speak. The twilight experience, we didn't even know we had these until we went through them, and we found that people were using the same language. Just as I was falling asleep, just as I was waking up, I saw my whoever it is. And then often, if they wake up, open their eyes, that person's right there, right with it, same room next to their bed wherever it is they happen to be. Um, So those that we call twilight experiences. ADC experiences while asleep. Sleep state ADCs or ADC dreams or visitation dreams. They have different names. Same thing. They're much more vivid, intense, colorful, and real than ordinary dreams. They have a beginning, a middle, and an ending. Whereas ordinary dreams are fragmented and sort of jumbled and filled with symbols. It's hard to remember them unless you write them down somehow immediately. But these are visitations where they're visiting you while you're asleep. And in our culture, that occurs a lot because most of us are too busy, 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 busy all the time to have these experiences because we just aren't relaxed often enough. We're to go, go, go until we cock out at night, cold sleep, and, and that's it. So they can contact us the easiest for them when we're relaxed, open, and receptive in, in the office space. A category I like, especially if you've heard of out of body experiences. In some cases, a person we interviewed went out of their body and contacted their loved one who's somewhere nearby being the same, room, same house, some were a few hundred feet away, some were thousands of miles away, and a few were all in the spirit realm. And those are especially, for instance, one mother whose baby had died, she didn't have any relatives or her husband didn't have any relatives who had died recently or any recent time. Who would take care of my baby? Well, she went to the other side and saw the people taking care of her baby. And that gave her immense peace yeah I comfort so that's what i like to say out of this is the way i was raised as a episcopalian catholic whatever um is that what i was taught that when we die some part of us called a spirit or a soul leaves our body and if we're good we go up to heaven and if we're bad we go someplace else <laughs> okay etc etc but i say it a little differently what I've come to believe is that each of us is a spirit or a soul. Right now, we are wearing a physical body. This is our earth suit. You have yours; I have mine. We need this to operate at this level of reality. Mm-hmm. Without it, I couldn't pick. I couldn't pick my cell phone up, or I couldn't talk to you, and nobody would see me. I mean, I would be a ghost. Yes, but we—that's. This is our physical body. But the only thing that quote dies is the body. It breaks down along with the brain, which I call our onboard computer, which operates the body. But the spirit or soul we are with our mind, which is eternal, continues going to the afterlife, the afterworld.
0: Yeah. To and I after. hear so many discussing, is there a soul, is there not a soul? And I'm and I just think it's so simple because when someone dies, you say they're gone. The body's right there but they're gone you know they're gone i mean it's a, a knowing that everybody has even you know before you even check the vitals Yes. you know clearly this person is no longer here even though the body's right there the body we, hasn't um, disintegrated yet you know no. but you just know
1: um i've we collected some experiences and because we also contacted various hospice people And sometimes they're working with a person before they die. And they know instantly when the person has died. And if they're right there, some of them are able to see a small, it's like a puff of smoke leaving the middle of the chest or the top of the head. And it goes up above the body, above the scene, and forms into the likeness of the person whose body is laying below. And they're up there. They may thank the hospice person or nurse or counselor, friend, whoever it is, and then sort of like Superman, up through the roof or out through the window. We call that soul leaving the body. That's not in the book, but uh, we have those. We have uh, other things like that, uh, uh, confirming that there is a soul or spirit.
0: I was only 18 years old, and my first job was uh, uh, working at a nursing home. And one night, an old man died. And... I was told to go in and give him a bath before the funeral home come to get him. And all of a sudden I just felt news, saw, you know, one of those slash slash. And he come right out of his body and he went out the bedroom door and I seen it going straight to the exit sign through the hall. And I ran down and opened those doors, which we're not allowed to do. And I opened them up and I was yelling for the head nurse, Stella. I was like, Stella, Stella, Mr. Smith wants out. And I like, I wasn't going to make him wait. I just opened those doors so he could go. Out. I suppose he could have went through them, yes. but you know, 18 years old, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's such a hurry to get out of here. I mean, he had been like crippled up in this bed for so long. Yes and, and I yeah, was only 18 and it was just like and they said uh wow, peggy we'll take care of it from now on like, i think they were thinking like she must be too young to handle this yeah but i mean well, i felt it <laughs> i never forgot it. Okay.
1: but you know do you realize what this says about you as a who you are at 18 years old you would have a be willing to work with terminal terminally ill people and be I with do them.
0: now of course i didn't feel,
1: comfortable, feel comfortable with them enough mm-hmm. so even when the moment they die You're you're not freaking out or something like that?
0: Yeah, when I've been with uh, mother in laws that have passed, I've had direct experiences with them. So,
1: okay. Uh, Telephone calls well, we don't have the old phones anymore, much anymore, but with phone calls, used to be the phone would ring while they're asleep. Well, you can understand uh, fantasizing having the phone ring while you're asleep during a so called dream. But what about when you're wide awake, standing in your kitchen or living room? whatever you're doing, the phone rings, you pick it up, you hear the voice of your deceased loved one. And it's a one-way or even two-way conversation. Gradually, their voice fades away. And when the call is over, there's never a hang-up or a dial tone. It's just as though the line was cut, severed. It's gone. And uh, again, that's more before cell phones. But that's another category I'll get to in a minute. Physical ADC is a physical phenomenon. Are a wide, wide range. Um, these include lights blinking, uh, lights or lamps blinking on and off, radios, playing a song that you associate with the one who died, TV, again, with a particular show that you relate to, the one who died, uh, toys, mechanical objects beginning to move even though the batteries may be dead in them. And it's a uh, all kinds of things being moved, photographs, pictures, various other items being moved or turned over in your home. It's, it's a long list of, I call it, things that go bump in the night. It's incredibly uh, long. And people recognize, if they're uh, sharp, they recognize what it is and who did it and why, because it's filled with symbolism that pertains to their relationship. It's not just random stuff. Uh, symbolic ADCs is a huge category. Quite a few books have been written about that now. This is, people say, well, how do you have one of these experiences? And my answer has been, ask a higher power, the universe, your deceased loved one, whoever or whatever you believe in, to, to pr- provide you with something, a sign of some kind. It may take a while to arrive, but and they may be very subtle, you could miss them, but most common ones include butterflies and rainbows when I say a butterfly, I don't mean just see a butterfly. I mean like one woman walked out in the backyard. There's a huge swarm of species she had never even seen before. Or you're walking out, maybe in a park or someplace, and a butterfly just stays right ahead of you as though it's guiding you somewhere. And it will take you to a particular destination. Maybe you find to a bench where you sit. And it's a particularly beautiful setting to, to sit there. So it can be that kind of thing. These also involve many... I think now I've heard about 25 different species of birds. And it's not just, again, seeing the bird, but the bird comes, in some cases, lands on your finger or sits near you, perches near you for many minutes. And most birds don't do that. They may come, grab some food, look around, chirp, and take off. But this is all different species for many minutes that go on. And uh, flowers that bloom out of season, that kind of thing. And then finding who knows what coins are the most common, pennies, dimes, feathers, uh, pictures, things that you mentioned before, uh, 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 ladybug, things to do with ladybugs, whatever your, in that case, say a child who's into ladybugs, they have stickers and they have shirts or a lot of different things to do with ladybugs. you know, you know it when it occurs, and this is just a little hello, hi. I'm thinking about you. I love you. They're not, they don't last long, but they're very uplifting. And many people have many of these. And we, uh, one couple found so many times, and she kept a book, a ledger of every one that had been found. And at that point, it was over 400. Okay, and then and she was still counting. So, this is very very comforting to have these. According to our research, well, the purpose of all these signs and other things like that is to provide comfort, reassurance, and hope to their parents, their spouse, siblings, children, grandchildren, and others, that they still exist. See, there are two parts to grief. One is our concern about one who died. or CD still exist? Are they okay? What about them? I don't know anything. And the other part of grief is our sense of loss, our course, our bereavement, our sadness, our depression, or despair, whatever. And they're at least feeling part of that, letting us know we don't have to be worried about them. And then verbally or non-verbally, the most typical messages are that they'll be there to meet us and greet us when we make our own transition. And their messages are, I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything is okay. I'm happy. Don't, don't worry about me. Don't grieve for me. They're much better off, frankly, than we are. I know that sounds crazy from the normal perspective, but they're in a much better place than we are. We've got a lot to go through still in our lifetime, ups and downs, okay? Everything will be all right. Go on with your life. It's sort of like a guardian angel at that point. They'll say, thank you. I'll always be there for you. I'm watching over you that's a guardian angel kind of thing. I'll see you again and but whether they say it or just express it in some other form just by becoming to you it's I love you I love you all these experiences are based upon love They're not there to frighten us to scare us to warn us it's love and many times they say goodbye which may be that they won't visit again. Many people have not just one of these experiences, but a, a chain of them, several of them. And it could be two, three, or four. Uh, one woman who uh, used to work with her husband and their joint business, when he died, she didn't know how to do what he had been doing. He contacted her every day and guided her on what to do next to keep the business going. So, I mean, he, there's no limitations on these if you're open to it. And some people... Do have multiple experiences? Right?
0: My uh, husband's grandfather appeared to his grandmother after he had died and um, told her to go to nursing school. And she did, she became a nurse.
1: Yeah. A lot of people are told to do something like that. They're given guidance, and some uh, eat it and actually do it. Some choose not to. Okay, mm-hmm. their choice. Um, now, these are not all new or brand new or something. In the psychological community, the psychologists, psychiatrists, they're called grief-induced hallucinations, meaning not real. That's the way they've been regarded up until we did our uh, research for Hello from Heaven. And they were, just like with near-death experiences, the early ones, if they came back and were in their room or something, tried to it. they wound up in the psychiatric section of the hospital. Okay. Of NDEs. And they wanted to shut, shut up for a while. <laughs> we got Same thing with these. If they shared it with a therapist, maybe, you know, he'd be taking notes and prescribe all kinds of things, including drug treatment for it to stop it from happening.
0: Yeah. A That's lot fine. of people did keep quiet, you know, even like grandparents, you know, you'd have to you know, ask them directly if they had any kind of experience. And then they would tell it and you'd never know they did. Right. Because they weren't allowed to talk about it because it yeah. wasn't yeah. considered Christian.
1: Yes. Oh, there's a big, uh, when we were doing our research, we had Bible sent to us, Christian tracts, all kinds of warnings uh, about the devil and everything. But once the book came out, we have not received even one. <laughs> I can't account for it, but uh, it's judgment uh, about other yeah. people's experiences. Now, what's really interesting to me is we have six chapters of why are these real? and not grief-induced hallucinations. The first one is ADCs, after-death communications, before the news. In other words, you have the experience before you're informed that somebody has died. As an example, I live in Florida. And let's say I have an experience tonight with somebody who lives in California. They might have been in an automobile accident, but I didn't know that. They came to say goodbye to me. Only tomorrow might I receive an email from somebody or uh, eventually a letter or a phone call or something informing me they had died. So I'm not bereaved, I'm not grief-stricken until I know somebody has died, right? I'm not right. sitting there crying for them, no, whatever.
0: I had one of those. I was working outside, I was hot and sweaty, I was busy. And all of a sudden it was like, what are those big birds? Like you see this cloud like flash? It got my attention, like, what's this darkness, and I look up, and it come down, and it just stopped, and it was one of those, like, say, see, feel things, like, you don't really see, you just know something's there, and they said, like, telepathically, like, in a real fast hurry, and I knew there was two of them, female, said, are you still praying for Pappy? Well, that was my ex-father-in-law, and I'm thinking, I'm divorced from his son, no, I mean, I used to, when he had heart trouble, and I was there for him, i think like, no, you know, it's my ex-mother-in-law, I don't, like, go around him anymore. And they kind of, like, talk between themselves. And then he took off. And I'm like, wait a minute. Should I be praying for him? Like, is something going on? And later, I got a call from my son and said, "Pappy died of a heart attack.
1: See? You, you, yep. you didn't know. First, I could have known you, that,
0: you know, that like he no, was going
1: You had the experience first and validation of it later. Yeah. That's my point. Another one is when people are grieving the death of a loved one, with the exception of bereaved parents, most people handle it pretty well after it's three, four, five years. Three parents may extend that. But we have experiences of people who have had an ADC with someone who died. Five, 10, 50, 20, 25, 30, the longest after 33 years after she died. And that was a woman who lives rather near me. And our deceased... Um, I think her husband told her to get out of the bedroom where she was at the moment. And he said it was such vehemence, she did. And just moments later, a huge uh, tree, I think an elm tree, crashed through the roof wow. and would we falling fallen on her on the bed where she had been. He protected her life. So evidential ADCs, it's because people learn something they didn't know before. In some cases, something they knew, that there was something of value, and I say value, I don't mean monetary value, it could be photographs, it could be, you know, a piece of clothing, something that you're looking for, and they come to tell you where it is, that you've been looking high and low and everywhere, and uh, couldn't find it, no.
0: I heard that one time about a will, a spirit come back and tell where the will was.
1: Yes, and th- then there's another one where you didn't, about something you didn't even know existed. You mentioned the will. A woman was, an older woman, was told by her husband to um, go upstairs to their bedroom, to the dresser, the old fashioned kind with many vertical drawers, and at the top it has just small little drawers, pull out the one on the right, and put her hand under the paper. People used to put paper in drawers, Uh she liked that. And she did, and she found an insurance policy. She didn't (laughs) even know we had it, okay? no, it didn't. It wasn't like we were winning the lottery, but it was money yeah. that came in handy at that time. Yeah. And so there are many things. Uh, it could be a twenty-dollar bill. This goes back quite a few years when twenty-dollar bill bought something, <laughs> something that was in an old trunk in the garage or whatever that they're led to find. So this is a very wide uh, type of ADC. ADCs for protection. Again, we touched upon it earlier when my son was almost drowning. or was drowning? Uh, unfortunately, I did speak to some parents who had been advised to go outside and check their child, but they didn't. In that child drowned, or whatever happened. Fortunately, not too many. That's why I urge people if they hear a voice or yeah. have an experience. That's with right. You know, check out. it out. Check it out. The waste. Most you've done is wasted a few minutes of your time. Right. Exactly. May have saved a life and your own sanity and grief. So, but uh, ADCs for protection, people have been told to stop a car or don't get on an airplane, and, and but they're always indirect. Like I was told, go outside and check the pool. They don't come and say, "Your son is drowning." They say, "Well, right. the in this case, look out your window and see the barn," and she did, and she saw the barn was on fire. This was on a farm, and. Uh, all other kinds of things like that especially with automobiles too. don't go down that road or make a, a detour resistor out of the other thing and it, it works out beautifully that's why yeah help. and
0: and really you know if you take away the taboo of ghosts and those kind of oh these people are crazy and you stop and think about it when you're on the other side of course you're going to be watching out for your family of course if you're about to get hit by a car or you know burn up in house you're going to certainly try to be doing everything you can to prevent that. You're going to be yes. their guardian angel. Can are going to be watching yes. over them. And it's up to us to listen.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, we have a chapter on suicide intervention. These were all people who were thinking about or planning to take their own life and to, to end their life. In two cases, they were in the act of, it, act of committing suicide. And a deceased loved one came to them. It wasn't what they said in them magical words. Some didn't say anything, but just somebody showing up at that very moment, dissuaded them, convinced them not to continue. And obviously we were able to interview all these people five or 10 years later, usually.
0: And you know what I find interesting is that I have guests that come on and, and call it, you know, spiritually transformative experience. And they're not saying this was a grandfather or whoever, they're just saying, it, it was Jesus, it was God, it was a guardian angel. It was, you know, and it was something that saved me during maybe a suicidal moment or something that they were crying out to God and, and they were saved. And, and exact same thing happens as what you're talking about as a relative where they come in to
1: rescue. Now, very often I'm, I imagine that they're sent back. You know, somebody's asking for that. They're told you don't go do this. We have guardian angels, angels, all the rest of it, deceased loved ones who act as guardian angels, et cetera. ADCs were the witness, and we started this earlier. In some cases, two people together at the same place, at the same time, share an experience. We call these shared ADCs. You might see the person, and I might hear his or her voice and receive a message uh, or any other combination. But we could do, share the same thing we could both see. but more likely it's one does this, one does that. And it's only be, because one begins talking about it, the other says, well, I didn't want to say anything, but as long as you mentioned it, let me tell you what I experienced. And uh, from what I've read, a lot of people who died come back to attend their own funerals and they're sometimes seen. And although we don't have a chapter in the book, we do, we, it was too long already, but we have a whole chapter of children's experiences the under 18, all the way down to three. Um, I, there are just three different categories, but in some cases, children are far more able to discern a deceased loved one than adults are. And they may see a somebody at the funeral, but they've learned, shut up, don't don't talk about this. You'll be told you're nuts. Or, I don't wanna hear about it or slapped. to some places. Yeah.
0: My uh, sister-in-law, Barb, at her funeral, I was kind of like praying to her, telling her, I'm sorry. Cause we had an argument not long before she passed and we'd always got along good. And we had this one argument. I got onto her <laughs> something. And so I'm sitting there like praying, like telling her, I'm sorry. I feel really bad. And then I see her just float between, I'm on the left side and here she's going up through the middle and she stops and just briefly and smiles at me and just keeps going on. Like I could see in her face, I could care less. Like, you know, any argument, you could tell she was such bliss. And so, and then I seen her go up and stand behind her three kids. And I saw her whisper, bend over and whisper something in her son's ear. But before she got there, once I seen her smile and go on, and I seen everything was okay, I felt lighthearted then and I chuckled and I teased her and I said, Hey, Barb, I said, I don't like the songs your kids are singing. I said, because they had been up in front of everybody singing before this, and they had sat down. I said, could you have him sing Amazing Grace or something? Because I don't like these songs. And I giggled. Like, that's kind of our relationship. Where we're just kind of blunt with each other and always laughing. And so I said that. And then I seen her lean over and whisper something in her son's ear. And I th- and then I seen him get up. And I seen him say, say something to his sisters. And he said, we weren't planning this, but mom just told me to do this. And I'm like, if it's amazing grace, I'm going to fall off my chair is what I'm thinking. And of course it was amazing grace. And I didn't tell him for a couple of years because they, the kids were so devastated by her death. She was young. It was, they were um, just above teenage years. They were so close. And I was afraid that it would make him suicidal. And like want to go back to his mom. I mean, they were really tore up. So I waited a few years and he had called here for some reason, talked to one of our kids And I said, Jesse, I said, I want to tell you something. And I told him and he says, oh, I know you're telling me the truth. He says, because that's exactly what mom did. Mom told me in my ear to sing Amazing Grace. And he's I know you're telling me the truth. And I'm like, how much more validation do I need to know these things are real? And he died not that long after that of a drug overdose. And so, of course, I'm like, I hope it wasn't what I told him. You know, I hope it wasn't. You know, suicide, to go back with mom. I hope I didn't push that along because, you know, it's like it's a decision where they tell people these things of of what they're going to do with it.
1: I don't think many people die by suicide because they're positive, positive frame of mind, looking forward to the hereafter to heaven or whatever. I'm reading the accounts of Near-Death Experiences, say, I want that for me. I don't think many people do it. They, the drug overdoses, many of those are, I think are accidental. They takes more than they realized. It. Yeah, it was heroin. And you know the heroin, and the opioids, and all the rest. They don't know what they don't know what they're Here's a pill, take it. You know, it's like I also wonder why one makes you the bigger, one makes you smaller.
0: Yeah, it was uh, said too that somebody gave it to him too. Yeah, that he yeah. wouldn't normally took. So, but yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, was uh, all these after death communication experiences provide comfort, hope, and healing especially for people who are grieving or are afraid of death. This, our book, I'm not just trying to sell a book. It's only $7.99 <laughs> at Amazon anyway. But uh, our book has helped many people have a fear of death, which is part of our culture.
0: And it's been a bestseller and it's in several languages and things, right?
1: Well, that's about 18 foreign languages and it's been out uh, about 25 years. And it's still helping people. Yes. And I, I especially like to help uh, bereaved parents more than anybody because their grief is the most intense. I'm a father; I have five children, and one of them did die by suicide. But uh, I've seen her myself uh, and whatnot, and uh, it's uh, it's all it's okay. She was uh, she's in a better, literally in a better place than she was on earth. She went through a lot of hell while she was here.
0: A co-worker of ours committed suicide. We just seen him, talked to him. I quit in time, but that morning, when at our meeting outside, I nudged my husband. We worked together, and I said, "Somebody's going to die. Somebody that's here right now is not going to be here tomorrow. Somebody's going to die today." And I and I saw two guys, and I was one of those two right there, and it was one of them. The next day, he didn't show up for work, and then late morning, they told us he had committed suicide. And I told my husband, I said, take me back to the field where he stood laughing, talking to me the morning before this. And I said, I just, I just want to go there for some reason. I just want to feel him happy. And the other guys is walking, you know, talking to themselves, trying to find out details what happened. I said, there alone. And, I'm, and I was talking to him in my mind, like, why did you do this? He's only like 23 years old, He's such a sweet kid. And all of a sudden I saw him and he was like hovering above me. And he was smiling, and he went, I messed up. And I'll never forget that. Just that smile. I messed up. That carefree.
1: Yeah. Um, A few more points here. That um, most ADCs reduce the intensity of the experiencer's grief. In other words, words, they're healed to a degree. Mm -hmm. And it shortens the duration of their breathing have these experiences. Yeah. So there are two very big mm-hmm. positives. However, some people react with fear when they have an ADC. They are um, sometimes surprised by the suddenness of it or because they've never heard of one of these happening to anybody. They think they're crazy or losing their mind, things like that. And other times it conflicts with what they've been taught in their church or other place of worship. In other words, where their philosophical or religious beliefs and we say we encourage you to trust your own experiences and accept them as being real for you at least for yourself
0: yeah it's not if, the devil
1: it's not the devil no. uh, we believe that ADC should be regarded as a natural and normal part of life and that they deserve the same public awareness that, that near death experiences have been receiving since Raymond Moody wrote his first book in 1975 I was a, one of the Early members of IANS 1981. So I'm very familiar with NDEs. And those are very powerful because they're longer and very, they describe a lot in some cases. These are shorter. People can have more, usually have more than one of these, often times. And so that's like a story. This is like a telegram. <laughs> it's the, uh, these are generally a minute or less. Uh, some go on and we'll sing a bird or something. but.
0: Do you think these kind of run in families, like maybe some families are more of a seer? Oh, they definitely, call it. Definitely.
1: Yes. Some families are much more open to all of these things. We, it was often, if one person had an experience that we interviewed them for, they had other family members who had also had experiences with the same person or other people. And it's because they were open and they talked about it. And they accepted each other. They don't go like, you're cuckoo or you're nuts or the devil's going to get you. Or the, That's not, you know, in the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, that's a big part of it. And uh, this is the first book that's ever been written about this topic. And it, uh, uh, this, I'm not saying this with to brag, I'm just saying it. But, uh, Raymond Moody is called the father of NDE research. I've been called the father of ADC research. Well, oh, um, that's brag. nice. Yeah, and, and I not, would uh, brag. I'm just saying I'm happy with this book. Because yeah. I know it helps people and, um, and, and give it to other people who are bereaved, if, if it doesn't apply to you.
0: And, and your story, too, is how you got into this. And, and you know, it was just like the universe knew you were meant to do this, even though you didn't.
1: I written uh, I another book called Stories from Heaven, which starts really in 1974 when I was 35. And I did not believe in life after death whatsoever. I used to compare people to flashlight batteries. That when the juice ran out, you threw the battery away. What's done is done. It's over, finished, done, no more. And then I had a series of experiences starting 1974, after we moved to Florida from, from New Jersey, and they're all be in this book. And uh, I believe that I've been pushed and pulled and prepared to write Love from Heaven, and that, that's my spiritual work to do. In this lifetime, that's why I can, that's one of the reasons. i there are many other reasons, but for the public, this is my main main reason. It wasn't just to be a stockbroker in Wall Street, yeah. <laughs> thing like that. And um, we, we, we believe that after death communication experiences provide convincing modern day evidence for life after death. They confirm that when our body dies, we simply make a transition from this physical world to a continuing existence in the spiritual realm. There we can expect to have loving sessions and reunions with all our deceased loved ones and friends and pets as well. We have accounts that involve pets where their dog or cat came back to them. It's not in the book. But we have them in our files. And uh, they can and do communicate with us. And that the big message, of the overall message of all this is that life and love are eternal that's one of the summation of everything we've
0: done and, and yeah. i know you know from my husband had a recent diagnosis and then thank god it was a we found out it was a misdiagnosis later but you know with your daughter even though you know this stuff and you study it and you believe it when things happen you're no different anybody else
1: oh no you know, no what a you, loved you one that My mother died in 2004. My father died when I was a little boy. And uh, although in his case, my father had had congenital heart disease. And he was in a great deal of pain constantly. The drugs they had back in the 1940s didn't do anything. And so I used to hear his very agonized voice. I'd hear him calling out at night. He just couldn't sleep. He was in so much pain and nothing. Nothing they gave him or could do for him helped him. So, uh, and he'd been in and out of the hospital for two years, and that didn't work. He didn't have the surgeries today would be no big deal, but again, nineteen forty-seven. And so, when he left his body, I felt a sense of relief for him. I missed him. I'm an only child, so for my father to die was a huge void, and. Was never filled. I had a stepfather, but that didn't do the same thing at all. No, um, definitely not. Definitely not. But uh, um, I feel he helped me with this work. By the way, I can't be pacific, but in a lot of small ways. And that uh,
0: I have a had a guest here recently, Brian Hoyland, whose health is still bad, and he has talked to his kids that you know he probably will pass. He sees how to end Ian and his boy come to him and, and told him that he hoped he did that. Cause he same reason as your dad that to be out of his pain and suffering and knows he'll be in a better place. I thought that's love right there.
1: I mean, I didn't say that to him. I didn't, I didn't right. say that beforehand. I miss my dad. Yeah.
0: And, you know, that's why I do what I do, because, you know, with my NDE at 25, I wanted to come back and raise my little boys because they were too young to lose their mother. And, you know, I was told it was my time. The answer was no. You know, and then I come back and then, you know, I just I'm just so have gratitude that my boys didn't have to have that, you know, didn't have to grow up without their mother. So it's something many. people take for granted, you know, they got to raise their kids.
1: Many, many researchers, I mean, many, many NDEers, people have had NDE, come back with a sense that they have a purpose or a mission to fulfill, but they don't know what it is. In your case, perhaps in part at least, it's to be mother to your children. Another part is this very TV show we're on together. (laughs) You're you're doing something very active. You have many guests, I'm sure, with NDEs and ADCs and XYZs, I don't know, but I'm sure you do. And you're getting the word out. And this is touching thousands of people. You don't realize how many. And because people talk about it to other people, then they buy a book and that opens them up. And then they read another book and they will see another show. I mean, there are piles of uh, interviews on YouTube uh, and the ears. I have a dozen videos in my presentations on YouTube. I mean, it's it's filled with spiritual stuff.
0: Yeah. And you never know who needs it the most is who's going to see it when they need it. You know, I, I see in the comments all the time, I needed this so bad today or one interview that I wasn't sure anybody was really going to watch much, but for one person, it's like, this is the best one yet. Yeah. You know? And maybe not a lot of people watched it, but for that person, it would, it meant a lot. And there's something in that message they needed to hear. You know whether it's with yours or you know the next person's or whoever. I mean, there's a lot of people out there is going to need it.
1: I, I don't know. I've often wondered about this. If people at some previous point in our evolution just knew about life after death, but everything I've heard about really because I grew up in a Judaic Christian country, we refer to the Old Testament and the New Testament and the God who the Bible was quite different than the God of years, Not just about love, but many people fear God and the hellfire and brimstone ministers and preachers and all the rest. And uh, I'm wondering if mankind at a much earlier time knew that life continues, because it would be so much different if we all not just believed it. You see, I've gotten to a point where people say, do you, do you believe we continue? Do you believe in life after death? And I say, no, I don't believe it. I know it. Right. That's what's happened in my evolution since 1974 to now. all Not just this book, but many things that have happened. And, uh, they might not be proof of anything for somebody else, but they are for me.
0: Right, I'm and even there. war. You think you're killing the other side? You're putting them in paradise. You know, if they all really knew exactly what they were doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've read so many books about near-death experiences books about ADCs, but there weren't that many uh, about it. Most are about signs. Ours is the only book that covers all the different types. Oh, I mentioned there are two other kinds. Okay. Um, one is where people have a phone, there's a message on their cell phone, cell phone. Uh, they sometimes a message from a deceased loved one, or um, uh, well, it used to be the old uh, telephone answering machines. There'd be which cassette tapes and messages on that. Or some people find a message on a, computer, on a computer, and they know it wasn't there before, and it's in the wording and references of their loved one who has died. So there are various electronic means that, to have an ADC. We didn't have enough of those to form a whole chapter when we wrote our book. And then I'm sure you've heard about orbs, these small balls of colored light. Some are bigger. And... Uh, some Marie parents claim that they've seen the face of their child in the in, one, in, in an orb. And so when they see that, it gives them great comfort. And I've seen everything from a large orb, uh, about this 18, 20 inches wide, blue, to uh, one place. And she took a photograph. I saw hundreds of orbs in the sky. I don't mean way up in the sky. I mean, just around three top level and whatnot. And I don't know what they are. I don't, you know, I don't think people may claim what they are, but I don't, there's no way to prove it that I know of yet. But um, I did help one woman who was a researcher. I bought her a camera. She was able to see them moving from place to place and even able to direct it. Come land in my suitcase or come do this, come do that. And the orb did those things, but she never found out what what it is. Is it the spirit of human being? Is it another intelligence? I, I, I don't pretend to know, but it's fascinating. And that would be a whole category.
0: It seems like when these things happen, they're just usually, I think, random and just you're not thinking about anything. And it just, you just, it just comes and it makes you stand still and notice out of this business. Like, just for example, last night, we were busy for hours um, working with the animals. and. That's all we were focused on was keeping these animals from going out of the fences. As we're working on the fence, and sun was getting out, and it's all this mayhem for hours. We were getting tired trying to get it done before it got dark. And all of a sudden, I look over, and every like time sits still, and I saw a cardinal. Which cardinals are everywhere? But I just focused on this cardinal landing on this tree limb, and I thought instantly. There's my mother-in-law, because she ha- this associate, we associate these red birds with her all the time. And then I thought, oh, you're silly, you know, these red birds are everywhere. Then just the moment I thought that, this white feather came blowing across right in front of my face. And I like, well, <laughs> just to make sure you know it was me. <laughs> so
1: and, uh, and uh, it's just all- these
0: personal little things we have. It's like like your book says hello from heaven. It's yeah. Perfect.
1: And we do have accounts, and again, not enough. And frankly, we thought it would be too far out to have the first book to include them, but experiences where people's dogs or cats or other cats have come back. And uh, do you have time for a long story? Sure, go ahead. Okay. This is about a young woman, say about age 30, who had rather a blah life. She had a job at an insurance company where she just processed forms in and out all day long nothing creative just work she didn't have a social life she wasn't that attracted that she she was not a chip magnet or a guy magnet or whatever you call it she didn't have t- a long dates or anything uh, she didn't have much of anything going on in her life and she wasn't depressed but this was just this is the way it was but she did have one thing she had she had her own horse and uh, she and the horse did something called dressage riding that's where the you use the, you just use the your heels to guide the horse you don't use the reins and you don't do, use verbal commands at all but the horse has to be very attuned to the rider and the rider has to be attuned to the horse my older daughter does that and it's a very specialized horseback riding very specialized form of riding horse and so that's what she did every day she could. However, the horse developed problems with its feet, its, its, its hooves. And she took it in to a veterinarian and he did some work on it. Got better for a little while, but after that, it got worse again. And eventually she had to have the horse put down. This wiped out everything because this was her recreation, her creativity, her exercise her whole social life everything was that horse and she just retreated into a shell of sadness and depression and deprivation and everything because nothing else was going on then one night she had what she called a dream but was very very vivid and much more than an ordinary dream and she saw her horse in three-dimensional color and her horse spoke to her mind to mind how dare you quit Horseback, oh, that's it. She said she's never going to ride again, by the way. How dare you quit horseback riding after all I have taught you? Mm. That transformed her. I don't mean in 24 hours, but that began to work on her. And her grief began to lift. Healing occurred. And once she was able to pay off the bills for the first horse, the veterinary bills, which were very high. Uh, She eventually did get another horse and did begin riding again, and it was all because of that deceased horse coming and speaking to her, and sort of admonishing her and addressing her go out there and do it again.
0: That is literally a get back on the horse story.
1: Yes, 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 very true. That's a good pun.
0: Oh, uh, thank you so much for the information. Is there anything else you didn't get to cover or you like to talk about?
1: I have held it cover several times on the book.
0: It's,
1: it's, at, uh, it's a regular paper, size paperback. It's only uh, 7 dollars or something at Amazon. And uh, I urge people to read it. And if not for you, give it to somebody else who you know who has lost somebody. And you know, they'll appreciate it. I believe it's modern day evidence for, for life after death, even more strongly than NDEs, near death experiences. With a near death experience, by definition, the person literally died, clinically died, or came very close to it. I believe nobody actually literally fully died, but it doesn't matter what, what my opinion is. They came very close to it. And they had this experience of leaving their body going through a tunnel in many cases. And all that happened to them after that. But these are far more common, far more numerous. And the people who had them, because we always ask, were you taking any uh, uh, drugs or drinking any alcohol when you had your experience? They said, yes, I don't care how good it was, we didn't use it. So as far as we know, the people who we interviewed were, were truthful and were not on drugs or alcohol and were in a normal state of health. I'm not saying they were all perfect health, but I'm saying a normal state of health. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the most evidential form of material of life after death. Because when you start reading this, and there's so much I couldn't cover in in, in a TV interview, that uh, when you read these and hear these and think about these, and I guarantee everybody who reads the book, there'll be one that really grabs you, at least one, and it will just, ah, like that. And, you know, I don't know which one, you don't know which one. But it's like that these, because these are the, all these experiences are in their words. When I said there are 353 accounts, it's their words. We tape-recorded all these people and we use their language, not ours. One person on Amazon said, I don't like the book because everybody sounds different. In other words, they, they thought we should be the writers. It should all sound like us writing it. Well, it isn't. It's in the words of the people. Right. And that's what <laughs> makes it authentic, I think. But... Uh,
0: it's
1: funny what people find to complain about. Yeah, anyway, so, uh, but I, I think that's, if, if we knew, if we really knew that this is an interim, this is a, a, an experience we're having, a human experience, and that we will evolve from this, we'll be born, we'll have a lifetime, however long, and then our body will die, we will continue. Just that alone, I'm not, not going to go into the bigger ramifications. Life would be so much easier, especially if you have somebody you've lost, somebody who has died in your life. You would know they're okay, they're fine, they're they're in better shape than we are. And uh, we could, because I've met some people who are so hung up, so stuck, especially if their child dies. It could be their their spouse or their lover or whatever. not, Not many, just free parents, but anybody. And they're just so crestfallen for years they just stopped living and they just knew that this was like this is a train station you come here for a while and you leave <laughs> and they go on something like that
0: makes me think of that song um i can only imagine where you know there he says he can only imagine you know what his what it's like for his dad that has passed what he sees and and, and then he can only imagine what it'll be like when he's there, you know, when he sees Jesus for the first time and, and, and all those things. So, and, uh, it touched, I mean, it crossed all across all kinds of music, like everybody loved it. Yeah. And then they made a movie of it and, and, you know, and that, and people aren't familiar with that, it come from, he was abused by his dad and his dad is a very mean man. And he ended up his finding, um, Unconditional love, forgiveness, whatever is that, is that you know, become a Christian before he died? You know, it's a really good story, but um, not all not all in real life does it end that way, you know, where someone comes to see the light.
1: Very, <laughs> well, um, uh, very popular Christian book is Heaven is for Real by Todd Burpo, which was made into a movie, and that was about his little young son, who had a near-death experience. And knew that he had believed had his sister who would die, but nobody had ever told him. He claimed he saw his grandfather, stuff like that. That's a very beautiful movie. And uh, I recommend the title Heaven is for Real. Yeah. Sure, you can buy it on Amazon or rented on Netflix. You know, not rent it, but see it on Netflix or anyplace else.
0: I listened to a recent interview of Colton Brupa recently. Hmm. And uh, it's interesting to hear him as a young man now recount. His story.
1: That's what we're talking about. It's Colton. Yeah. yeah. It was written by his father. But right. Yeah. But that movie, somehow, it really touched me. I saw it twice. And it really moved me the way they did it. Yeah. And it wasn't super, you
0: know. I've seen it a lot. <laughs> I watched the indie mo- movies over and over and over.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, me too, yeah. Uh, my favorite is Resurrection with Ellen Bernstein. If you've ever seen that. Uh,
0: is that the one um, where... She buys her uh, boyfriend a new car and they have a car wreck.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's at the beginning. The car wreck. I don't know yeah. if she buys it, but it starts yeah. off with a, a car. I think a sports car is wrecked.
0: Yeah, that movie was Ports Time, wasn't it? I mean, because that's an old movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was way ahead of its time. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: All right, well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, yeah. Peggy.
0: Uh-huh. All
1: right, bye-bye. Bye to you, and thank you very much for having me as a guest. You're welcome. Hasta bueno.